Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man whose throat isn't sore this afternoon. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, that's because, as I've mentioned, I have a, uh, a very polite and respectful uh, appreciation for beating Baylor as it is a house divided and I uh, couldn't be screaming and cheering and grunting and, uh, uh, you know, making uh, Terry Tate office linebacker noises as uh, Texas put the, the boots to Baylor. Um, so maybe that's why, Gerald. I don't know. Also, um, I, I uh, drank a lot uh, to, <laughs> to get through hosting uh, folks for the, the Thanksgiving holiday. Maybe that helps. Maybe that's the secret. I mean, it probably is. I did not drink during the game because I had my five-year-old with me. We decided not to. I was driving, so uh, make some positive choices there. But, like, I had to teach my son, like, how to do Texas fight properly, right? Like, if they're going to do it, like, we're going to do it. So um, you combine that with, like, my first time back in Central Texas allergy mm-hmm. season in a year and – you know what? Here we are. Here we are. But we're still here with you. I just might not get as loud as I normally do on some of these podcasts, and some of you may love that. But <laughs> we're here to talk about Texas's big win over the Baylor Bears, 38-27 on Senior Day. Big way to send those guys out. Obviously a big down the 40. Uh, basketball was in action for both the men and the women, and volleyball is preparing for the NCAA tournament. Big week coming up for the horns but really the big story the big merciful story texas tried to fumble this one away literally and metaphorically but managed to hold on against baylor leaning into b john robinson and roshan johnson in the end of the day for a 38 to 27 victory over the baylor bears senior day for a lot of guys probably the last time we will get to see b john robinson on Campbell Williams field. Texas had an opportunity to score another one, but decided to kneel it out. But it was an absolute like this felt like Texas playing with its food for three quarters and then finally being like, oh, we're just bigger than these guys and better than these guys. Sark talked about in post game that like we just got rid of the motion and just started to line up and run the ball. And like that to me is a sign that like you just know you're better and stronger and faster than those guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it look, there, there was a lot of. Um chatter since the the last game um that the baylor fans uh were, were in mentions and, and around the general internet uh I believe even on this this podcast with the preview mentioning that their defense had Bijan's number that he uh he, he couldn't find that success against aranda because aranda was it was game planning for it and in the first half you know Bijan wasn't used quite as much the running game wasn't used quite as much um, and it felt like there was something a little bit cathartic about, you know, Quinn had the late fumble that led to a scoop and score. And they just said, you know what? How about we never pass the ball again? Let's just put this thing away uh, by absolutely leaning on this Baylor line, which, you know, again, features a 350 pounder in the middle that intimidates a lot of team. But we, we practice against two of those, right? Like th- the two of the three uh, 350 nose tackles in the in the division. Two of them are on Texas. So, um 
they get to go up against some guys that size sometimes, and they just decided in the second half that they were going to push the entire Baylor line around. Um, they schemed some things with some motions. You know, I, was, I went back and watched it just to look at formations and how they were able to do it. And, um, you know, some of it was, was Xavier Worthy on orbit motions through the backfield, which made, you know, an eye go uh, to the outside run and the chance that, that Worthy, because all he needs is a step, right? And then, again, give Bijan one step and uh, you get it. It wasn't that Bijan just crushed, you know, 50 yarders in this game. It was that it was nine yards, eight yards, 12 yards, three yards, or uh, six yards, five yards, 11 yards, seven yards. Like it was just chunk, good gashes every time. It was, um, it was incredible. It was. It, when Texas has had success this year, it has been when they could run the ball. You look at uh, games that they, they didn't run it particularly well, and then those were the games they struggled in. So I think there's a formula with this year's team and this year's roster we could talk about in the future and going forward what that projects to next year with some turnover uh, and roster. But but running the ball was clearly the recipe for success. I hope they'll remember that for the bowl game coming up, whatever that specifically will be. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think when Texas realized let's, let's use our weapon, the crowd chanting Bijan, Bijan, and him getting almost teary-eyed at the end. Like that was the end of your Rudy movie, right? Like it's Bijan's likely, probable last game. It's for sure Roshan's last game. And so, what do they do? They just fed those guys. They just let them get down to the red the red zone and just eat. They let them, you know, take first, second, third down rushes and 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 show that they were playmakers. And it was, you know, a great way. If those two guys are both. Never to be seen in the burnt orange uh, while on the field. I'm sure they'll be back a lot. Then what a fitting way to go out. Yeah, I mean, I, I put it out there on Twitter, but like being like seeing Bijan do what he did in the fourth quarter, 14 of the last 24 plays went to him, like 99 yards and a touchdown, six first downs, like just absolutely showing the killer instinct that we wanted to see from the whole team all year. And like being part of the cr- chat, uh, the crowd chanting his name, getting to be there with my son, like top five life moment for me. It's just absolutely incredible time. Um, but overall, 29 carries, 179, two scores. Uh, like I said, 14 of the final 24 offensive plays to Texas put the ball in his hands. Uh, averaged over six per, which is absolutely nuts. Uh, Co-Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week for his efforts. Roshan Johnson, not too shabby for him. Either 13 carries for 77 yards in two scores did the dang thing texas just absolutely leaned on them and it's it's just absolutely insane uh quinn ewers did again the bus driver thing which i'm totally fine with it it looked like he was about to kind of set it off early in the first half and then he missed uh jatavian sanders on that touchdown pass and kind of things started to wobble from him 12 for 16 for 194 an interception no touchdowns that scoop and score fumble and the safety i don't know what to make of quinn ewers right now kyle um he's obviously a freshman he's obviously struggling with some of the speed of the game and the decision making and the processing but i also think um I wonder if we're going to find out in like a month or so that there's some sort of like previously undisclosed injury that he's been dealing with or the shoulder was worse than they made it out, but he wanted to gut it through. Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but like this, and maybe it's just Quinn Ewers is not who we thought he was going to be and he's going to be something different and that's totally fine too. But like, I just don't know what to make of Quinn Ewers at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think you all, you see with quarterbacks, right? There are the few that can come in as year one starter and, and really, you know, just have it all. Um, but even with the great, you know, college quarterbacks, there's a big jump from year one to year two as the starter, right? An even bigger jump if you get to be a three-year starter. But 
Um, you see a huge jump your second year as a starter. You'll get you know the full off season, get the chance um, to you know settle in, get comfortable. We'll see exactly what the receiving options you know going forward are going to be. We know Jatavian Sanders will be there. We hope Worthy will be there. Nayer should be coming back. They should be you know having some young guys step in. They could probably look at the portal. Sark mentioned receiver room depth is a is an area that they you know aren't happy with right now and want to target. So um, we'll see. But, but, I mean, whoever's there, the talent will be there enough that, that Ewers needs to make winning throws, make winning plays, right? And, and, and that step needs to happen or, you know, this experiment. We didn't necessarily – this year you had two running backs to rely on who were, you know, NFL caliber, right? Two guys who will get drafted. You have really good running backs in the stable, but not that experience with, with, with two guys with, you know, 3,000-some-odd yards rushing uh, minimum for each, right? I think – number four and number 15 all-time career rushing yards, right? Didn't give Roshan his due. Um, you're not going to have that to rely on next year, so it, it will be a team where they have the expectations that one of the best you know, quarterback recruits coming in makes some kind of step, and it can be a quarterback-driven team. Sark will always want balance, but you know, multiple options in the pass, deep shot being there to take the top off, you know, get the running back balls in creative ways. That's Sark's offense. It's It's... You know, it's not simple, but it's it's straightforward in, in what he's trying to do. And so, um, you know, there will be those crucial 12 practices that everyone talks about with a bowl game. Uh, and then there will be a, a key offseason. We'll see what it looks like for next year for Quinn. But in this one, right, the, the plus is three for three on passes uh, of longer than 15 yards. You know, he, he hit most of his his open guys or got some guys, you know, pretty open and in, in, in Quinn hit them. They, they threw short passes. We've been asking for that, you know, to Worthy to get him uh, involved. He had the, the plus on this one is Worthy caught seven of his eight targets for 62 yards in the past. He'd have six catches, but 12 targets, you know, and the conversion percentage just wasn't there. And that's because they didn't take the straight up, you know, go route deep shots like we've we, we, we've seen in weeks past. Right. And so um, maybe there's a little bit of adjustment in what, what you do there. But again, take the the tackle of your tight end and you know the line of scrimmage out and he's 12 for 15 basically for around 200 yards 80 percent completion 200 yards when you're focused in the second half on running the ball those are those are fine stats he didn't have any touchdowns but he didn't have any interceptions he's Tavian sanders he's over 200 yards with a touchdown so um you know it's tcu and this week both what if he hit that open guy for a touchdown um it'd be nice if we didn't have to say what if and we just had those touchdowns on the board but you can see the offense there. Just you know, I think the biggest step with him is 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 that is seeing the offense is making the right read is you know then getting it there right. He's he's sailed balls a lot in the second half of the year since he came back from the injury, and I think that's why Gerald said what he said about do we think he's a hundred percent healthy? But we'll have a long time, right? We'll have a game in a couple of weeks here. We'll find out basically next week what our fate is, and then um, you know in the next month we'll play a bowl game, and and then we'll have a long time. We'll have nine months, right, where we'll have to sit there and talk about and i'm sure we will talk about this plenty but um the development the progression and, and where quinn's at and what he's seeing what they're working on what mechanics they're cleaning up what with his footwork what with his release point you know what 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 they're working on um and and what's going to be different and i trust the staff i truly do uh to develop and so i think with that much natural talent which is the thing everyone has always raved about with him now it's the can he put in the work can the coaches you know hone it a little bit in this full off season with with him taking 100 percent of the starter snap so we'll talk about that more as we talk about kind of going into the season but with the last regular season game we saw the formula that works this year run the ball a lot let quinn make a couple of plays and i think that is a recipe for success in 
for Texas moving forward because the offensive line is only going to get better. The running backs are going to be good, right? We've seen flashes from Jonathan Brooks. Honestly, his game looks really similar to what Bijan does, except he might be a half step faster than Bijan. I know that seems like um, that seems like I'm not going to say he has the contact balance of Bijan Robinson. Right. I'm not going to say he has the vision and change of direction of Bijan Robinson, but the way that he can find and make space is pretty impressive for a guy out of Hallettsville, Texas. Let's just be honest. Like he was not expected to be this good. And he had, well, let me say the rest of the folks did not expect him to be this good. Um, but he's, he's played really, really well um, and did some really special. He's, we've already seen him do some special things. And I think he's got a little bit of an extra step. And so I think the opportunity is there for Texas to be uh, run first is a bit of a misnomer in like this. Cause like, Teams are going to run somewhere in the range of 55-45%, right? Run pass or pass run, depending on the day. So, like, But I think Texas being able to get what it needs to do and do what it needs to do on the ground is a differentiator because that has not been the case in a lot of years. And so for Texas being able to come out and close the game out running 24 straight rushing plays, right? Like that is something that I think we've wanted to see. Texas has not been able to do that in weeks past. And so they did it not once, but twice. And they needed to score the go-ahead run. They put the ball in Bijan's hands. Bijan did the dang thing. And they needed to close the game out. They put the ball in Roshan's hands. He scored the go-ahead hurdle touchdown, right? They needed to put the game, they needed to end the game. Bijan again, chanting his name, crying on the field, right? Like that's what Texas needs to be able to do, right? That the offense for the other three quarters, that'll sort it out. But Texas finally finished, I think is the way to say this, right? We've been waiting for it all year. Offensively, Texas finally finished. Was it pretty? No. Did I nearly like throw my hat on the field from the upper level <laughs> when Quinn Ewers fumbled that that drop back? Maybe, right? Good thing I wasn't wearing a hat because it would have I would have needed to, to hit up uh, our friends over at last stand again, right? But like when push comes to shove, I think the positive for me, the, the takeaway there is that when Texas needed to close, when it was winning time, when it was get stuff done time, when we needed to earn our GSD certificate, Texas did it. And we haven't seen that. And hopefully whoever they play in the bowl game, we could see it again. And that carries over to next year because that to me is the difference between Texas winning eight games and winning 10 or 11 games. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and just to round this one out, we talked about Worthy, you know, catching seven of eight. 53 of his 62 yards were after the catch. So it's get Worthy the ball. See what he, if you're unable to connect with the deep ball, get, get ways to get that electric speed moving after the catch. And and that worked out. Uh, Jatavian Sanders had a couple long ones, two for 65. Uh, Whittington, a couple long ones, two for 48. He did have that fumble in there, but his next catch, basically, you saw him try to will it. Uh, with multiple broken tackles and a cutback, he was trying to get that thing in the end zone on senior night. Kind of wish he could have got one, but uh, you know, just an end of a great career for him. And then Keelan, a guy who I hope um, will stick around and will feature next year, just because you can't coach speed and what he does on special teams and what he's um, done as the receiver of the ball had one for 19. So um, the offense went to the usual suspects, right? There weren't you know uh, a lot of surprises here, um, and he got what you got, which was a well coached, well executed. Um, game plan that especially came to fruition and, and Gerald said it like we'll talk about the defense in a moment but this was a game that was trending a different direction than I think uh, maybe Baylor drew up about how you play Texas and what you know coach Joy McGuire may have talked about when you play Texas this is a Texas team that only got stronger it looked like if there was another quarter or two Texas would have just put the hurting and this could have been a 50 point blowout they were the ones ready to play more football uh, and sad to see that whistle blow which you know a couple of our wins this year uh, and losses it's been you know just gripping on in the second half, like looking at the clock, waiting for it uh, to tick down. So with that, we at least close the book on the regular season. We'll obviously be back uh, for whatever bowl game. We'll do a preview episode and all that fun stuff. But 
again, the Texas offense closed and scored points in the second half, which is something we've been praying for for months. The conversation both locally and nationally has really been about the Texas defense outside of B. John Robinson. Um, I was listening to I listen to all sorts of national college football podcasts because it's part of how I prepare for what we do. But um, the number of people that were like, I don't know if I'd ever say this, but the most consistent thing about Texas on Saturday and for the last several weeks has been the defense, right? And the defense, once again, after giving up just 104 yards on the ground against Kansas a week ago, they came out and one up to themselves, or should I say three down to themselves, right? Three fewer yards this week uh, on the ground did not allow a single point in the second half. Baylor spent a lot of time on offense in this game, especially for the first three quarters, and the defense just did not break. They were when you exp- when you see that disparity, it was like a 15 minute disparity through the first like three quarters. It basically played a whole extra quarter what it felt like in those first three quarters. And the defense just continued to be stiff necked and bow their backs and say, nah, player, we're going to do this thing. And so the defense answered the call. And this was the unit that really, when it was winning time, the defense did it right. I think the offense needed some extra time, obviously, to get its life together, get its act together. And the defense is the reason why Texas was in this game, partially also because uh, Baylor's offense is kind of butt cheeks. But also, the defense capitalized on that. And they've given up some points to butt cheeks offenses in the past. <laughs> so, like, seeing them do this uh, has been, was a revelation, I think, for me and for many people. Yeah, I mean... 56 yards on 30 plays is just an absolute python of a defense that just literally squeezes the life out of you as they did in that second half. Again, the only points Baylor scored in the second half were on a scoop and score uh, fumble. Um, So just really great finish. It's been three consecutive elite performances where, you know, not just good, but where Texas looked like the best unit in the conference, right? Iowa State's looked pretty good all year, but, you know, against TCU, that defense against Kansas and now against Baylor, where where the Texas defense has looked like a top 15 defense in the country. I mean, they've looked uh, legitimately excellent. Um, And it's that complimentary football we've been asking for, the offense and the two wins has also played that against DC. They didn't. So, you know, there, there's your answer. Um, but Baylor wants to run the ball. We know that they ran it 39 times. Barely. It took all of those, every single one of those uh, to get it over a hundred yards, 101 yards on 39 carries for 2.6 yards per carry. UT uh, stuffed the run 15% of the time, which is fantastic. Um, and we saw the uh, Sheehan all American um, Richard Reese, who's I think he said the best running back in the conference, I believe um, not like he's a homer for his, uh, local school Baylor or anything, never said anything nice about Texas. But anyways, uh, Richard Reese, 15 carries uh, for 54 yards, which is, you know, run of the mill. I'd say pedestrian. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they stuck. I've had better. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I, I, I They they stuffed the run, which forced, you know, a man I call Blake Shapeups to uh, to throw the ball more than they, they would have wanted. And, and I think we saw exactly probably how good Shapen is against a good defense. Like he's just not great. There probably were a couple more throws he could have made if he was a really good quarterback. Um, but Texas again took away the things that he wanted to do or allowed him only the really short stuff, and then did what they do all year, which is gang tackle, swarm to the ball, don't let yards after contact, stop anything that's the short screen stuff. Right? They they did a lot, um, even with you know a couple quarters of Baylor just absolutely holding Dickens out of the Texas defensive line every single play. Um, Again, I, I was my, my dad was watching it with me. It was the holidays and was just couldn't believe it. You know, as a former football player and football coach, 
like the amount of holds where you know defensive linemen were getting pressure and getting turned around uh, as they got held in, in jerseys outside of the pads. You know, very obvious stuff. The eighth grade, you know, uh, you, you coach kids not to do um, none of it, right? But it's okay. In spite of uh, the Texas defense stood strong and only gave up 169 passing yards on 36 attempts. Just a really great performance, especially from the both the the. Uh, stud linebackers Jalen Ford and DeMar Vianovich show. And I mean, just a, a really, really well-rounded team defensive performance. I'm not going to stand here and say that Blake Shapin didn't miss some touchdowns because there were some touchdowns that are absolutely left on the board by J- by, by Shapin. Uh, but I think when push comes to shove, that was the Texas game plan, right? Like stuff the run, keep Richard Reese from getting from getting what he wanted to do on the ground and force Blake Shapin to beat you. It's basically what Texas, what teams have done against Texas for the last several weeks, or at least tried to um, in in two games that they lost is like, we're going to shut down the run and force your quarterback to beat you. And we're going to bet that he can't. And Texas won that bet. And that's what Pete Kwiatkowski has done really well all year is take away what teams want to do, whether it's yards after the catch, whether it's running the ball and setting up the pass, whether it's the triple option and the RPOs against Kansas, like what, Pete Kwiatkowski has done this year, especially after people were calling for his job a year ago, right? Uh, We talked about it last week that Texas could have given up like 734 yards on the ground this week, and they still would have been 300 yards better than they were a year ago. They will play more games this year and give up less ground yardage uh, than they did a year ago. So like that is, to me, uh, the mark of defensive improvement. Now it's going to be curious next year to see what it looks like, what the run fits look like with DeMarvian Overshone out, uh, with Diamante Tucker Dorsey out, Texas is going to have some questions to answer at linebacker yet again. Uh, but Tavondre Sweat didn't walk. He has been honored. It seems like that big man is coming back. Um, and he and Keandre Coburn uh, have both been monsters in the middle for Texas. So if Texas can get one of these other defensive tackles uh, spun up and ready to go, this could again be another Texas defense that, that you could set your watch to. And again, I don't know if I could say it enough. We haven't been able to say that in several years. It's been years and years. Like even Charlie Strong, a defensive-minded coach, couldn't get it done. It's been since championship run years, like 2009, that I think we really could say this Texas defense uh, is getting it done, uh, and it is the team is the reason why the teams are so good. And that's been Texas th- for, at least for the last I don't know five six weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And then they deserve all the credit. They had seven pass breakups in this one. There was a busted coverage. They had a 47-yard touchdown early. I mean, the defense really like i said respond in the second half they gave that one up early on the uh the after the safety the first drive after that to go down nine nothing but that was 27 percent of their yards on a 47 yard busted play i mean they really clamped and locked down three sacks five hurries uh like we said forward 13 tackles two tackles for loss one interception one pass breakup that got him the the big 12 uh defensive player of the week the only um player in the conference to do that three times demos 14 tackles that's 27 right there across the two Linebackers also had a sack, two pass breakups, two tackles for loss. Jade Barron I thought was good in this one as he's been all year. Five tackles, two for loss, a sack, a pass breakup. Alfred Collins, a name that we are going to need to see break out next year if that line's going to continue to kind of have the dominance that they, they had this year, especially with Coburn leaving and figuring out who's going to step up next to Sweat. Um, four tackles and a sack in this one was happy uh, to see that from Big Al. Um, just thought, again, you could go down the list and, and – uh, Keaton Crawford could have had an interception where uh, they kind of got beat, but uh, they were able to get hands in at the last minute and then had an interception drop. Which I think also would have got you your pod for Thomas Gerald. So sorry to see that one. Um, but, uh, you know, I just I just thought it was 
yes, they they had a couple things get behind them, which has not necessarily been the case all year. But they they also, you know, stepped up and, and took some things away and, and made plays. And I thought it was just you know an incredible defensive performance. And I can't go back enough to the fact when you give up you know one point five yards per play in a, in a half, you are you're really doing something. You're doing something at an elite level. Um, the one thing I wanted to go into before we we get down, Gerald, is just looking at. Um, some of the kind of key areas of this game, right? Early down success for, you know, both offense and defense, right? Um, Texas, when you think about long plays that put them behind the chains, basically second downs of, of eight or more to go in third or fourth downs of five or more to go. Texas had eight of those plays, 13% of their plays. Baylor had 30, 40% of their plays. They Texas wanted to take the runaway, wanted to force Baylor to pass, and they did, Right. The biggest stat to me of this game, first down plays, Texas averaged 8.8 yards on first down, 290 yards on first down plays. Baylor, 74 yards, averaged 2.7. That's just an entirely different game when you're looking at second and 1.2 or second and uh, 7.3, right? That is, you know... Yes, Texas, both of its turnovers came on first down plays, but uh, that's included in your 8.8 average, right? So it could have been even better had those not happened. I mean, I think that really just, to me, is the key to the game is Texas got ahead of the chains. They set themselves up. They made things easy for themselves on offense and did the exact opposite to the Baylor offense. And, and just for an offense that needed every advantage they could get, Texas didn't give them none. I mean, this is the game plan that people have beat Texas with, uh, especially like this is a game plan TCU beat Texas with a few weeks ago. So like this to me um, is just absolutely incredible. So uh, to catch you up, Kyle alluded to it. Pod Stradamus, much like the Texas Longhorns, I blew a lead on this one. Kyle, because he stole my sacks. Mark for two weeks in a row managed to come from behind to win the regular season 15 to 14. We'll see what bowls look like. He hit on 150 total yards and one touchdown for Bijan, two sacks for Texas. Uh, I went for Bijan with two rushes over 20. He had one for 23. Roshan had one for 21, but that doesn't count. And then Texas obviously turned over Baylor one time, had a couple of opportunities for another one, but it did not bounce their way. Texas moves up to number 21 in the AP and coaches poll. Uh, the second to last playoff standing comes out on Tuesday, so we'll find out about that. Texas is currently waiting for its bowl assignment. There's a lot of weird internet scuttle about the, the Sugar Bowl for Texas because, well, if Kansas State loses another game, blah, 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 right? Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter, guys. Either TCU goes to the playoff, uh, Kansas State ends up in the Sugar Bowl, or T- or Kansas State wins, goes to the Sugar Bowl, and TCU probably gets an at-large bid to a New Year's. Like they're they're Texas going to the Alamo Bowl, guys. Like that's that's what's going to happen. Like let's just, but we'll be back for the Alamo Bowl. Could be the Utah Utes, which could be fun. Uh, it'll hurt me to have to play against Jaquin and Jackson and Cam Rising, and we'll do a preview with the Utah folks when the time comes, if that's it. But we'll uh, we'll be here whenever that time is. And uh, Texas going bowling eight and. Four after a five and seven season a year ago. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Number 19 women's basketball took a little bit of a pl- uh, uh, tumble in the rankings after their performance in the Bahamas. Rory Harmon, though, is back. And wouldn't you know it, Texas is markedly better on both ends of the court. 74 to 50 in her debut. Harmon scored 11 points, including six straight in the third quarter run that sealed the game. 
Again, we said it last week when uh, things looked to be a little wobbly for Texas after that uh, bowl, that run in the Bahamas. That let's just all chill. Let's just all chill, and Rory will be back, and she's back, and things look good. Yeah, I think they, they, they've been through the toughest part of their, their schedule until they get into conference. Um, they should have a, a good little run here where they're favored in, in each of their matchups kind of through the end of the year heading into Big 12 play. Um, they, I think it's a good time for her to come back. They they're, Two of their three losses are to top five teams. Um, so, you know, they're, they're understandable. Uh, the Marquette one does stand out, but they're, you know, understandable. They're still in a good position. 19 is fine. That number, as they keep winning and that, you know, win column goes up, we'll start whittling. Uh, if they can, you know, just do what they need to do, not have any any blunders, get into Big 12 play and, and you know, basically beat everyone they should and then do well against Iowa State, Baylor, um, and, and, and some of the kind of top echelon of the conference, then, you know, you'll really see that that number turn into a good seed. And we know Vic's teams get better as the year go on, but hopefully we wish for health for everyone to keep this team together for the rest of the season. But again, it's great to see Rory back. Sonia Morris, who's been carrying the team in her stead, continue to be the high scorer, 15 points, five rebounds, two assists in this one. Was excited to see Taylor Jones post her first double-double, 12 of, uh, points, 10 rebounds. I think between her and Rory, they scored 19 of 21 points in that third quarter. Um, and Texas uh, held – Princeton team was good, right? They were in others receiving votes, held them to 15 points below their season scoring average to uh, 28% shooting on the night. In a night where they honored – all-time leading scorer Annette Smith-King. Uh, they retired her jersey, pulled out some hardware that she had. Uh, Texas did some scoring, so it was good to uh, honor her that way. Got USF at home in the mood on Friday. Keep it up. Ladies will be with you. Number four on the men's side. I think they moved up to number two, actually, in the most recent rankings. Uh, defeated U- UT Rio Grande Valley 94-51 to in the throwback game of the Leon Black Classic. That one took place in the Greg, um, 3,500 folks sold out. It's a nice way to mask that people are on Thanksgiving break <laughs> and aren't going to come to the game. Nice way to cover that up. Uh, but it's a cool environment nonetheless. Uh, Texas doing a little running. Chris Beard letting them run free 16-2 to two advantage on fast breaks, which is uh, pretty impressive. We did not expect that from Chris Beard. You and I made plenty of jokes about uh, really being excited for him to put the brakes on such an athletic team, and it doesn't appear like he's doing that. Yeah, I mean, this is right now a guard-led team, and that's not to, to disparage the big man play, which has also been good, but... Uh, Jabari Rice, Marcus Carr, and, and and Hunter are all, you know, can get you 20 points a night, guys. So let him out and run. And then you have Dylan Mitchell, who, you know, he shoots the ball fine. But what he's really, really good at is being really fast, really athletic, and jumping like 18 feet in the air and grabbing balls and throwing them down very hard. When he does that, everyone gets really excited. It has a multiplier effect with the crowd going nuts. Um, it's just a good strategy. And I, I know, you know, uh, like – it's a sound philosophy, and I think last year, it with what Beard felt our offense could do, running only created more possessions that you had to stop them on defense, and so they were, you know, terribly, like, you know, horrendously tough to watch slow. Um, I wouldn't say they're the fastest team in the country, but they moved from, like, 356 to where they're at 182 right now in adjusted tempo at, you know, about 68 possessions a night, which is a really sweet spot, right? A lot of times your your, your top... 10 top 15 teams are around that number. Uh, occasionally you'll get a team that just runs a lot, but you know it's it's easier to win somewhere there in the middle uh, running when you can, playing good defense and that kind of you know it's early, but small sample size through 5 games this year um 94 to 12 margin in fast break points. So, uh really really excellent 
play from them. And I mentioned those three guards. Rice, 19 points, five rebounds, five assists. Only one turnover. It's kind of our third ball handler, but a guy who handled the ball uh, a good amount as the ball whipped around. Marcus Carr, 18 points on four of eight from deep. Uh, Hunter, 17 points on three of six from deep. And I mentioned Dylan Mitchell, 10 points, four rebounds, two steals. I want to talk about Dylan DeSue, though. In only 20 minutes, my guy just just filled out the stat sheet like a, a NBA 2K creative player. Uh, six points, a game-high 10 rebounds, four offensive, five blocks, which ties his collegiate career high, uh, four assists, which set a collegiate best, and three steals. Again, in 20 minutes, right? They, they, they played an outmatched team, but they, uh, they, they got it in with those starters um, quite well. I think Bishop also had four blocks uh, in this one. So, I mean, just, just great play all around. Uh, from Texas, there's still weapons who you know have another level with this team. They haven't really, besides Gonzaga, had to, and even then, roll it out with a team playing the whole game. So there's still levels to each of these games. They've scored well off the bench. There could be games where any of those guys are asked to carry the team on a given night. But as Gerald said, this team now number two in the polls. And if you, as myself, uh, put a lot of stock in the Ken Palm rankings, they are... Number one, which is terrifying. Uh, they're number three in adjusted defense and number 13 in adjusted offense, which that one of those numbers is close to last year. The other is incredibly significantly better. It's the offense. Uh, so just, you know, excited to see. They have some good games coming up. So we'll we'll see. We'll get a real, real feel for this team in back-to-back nights. So next up for Texas, number seven, Creighton. On Thursday, the Creighton's coming off of a uh, loss to Arizona in the Maui Invitational uh, Finals. Texas continues a massive, massive stretch. Uh, after that, traveling to New York City for the Jimmy V Classic against number 16, Illinois, next Tuesday. We'll obviously have uh, coverage for you of that next week. And then finally, probably the best team on campus, let's just go and say it, uh, outside of rowing maybe, number one, women's volleyball. Overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament, um, playing fairly Dickinson on Thursday, and then the winner of Georgia Tosin on Friday. Um, absolute, like, it's good to, to get that number one seed. Texas doesn't have to leave the Greg. It's just a really good opportunity for them to, to march through what they need to do and uh, get hopefully bring home some hardware. Gerald, I think it's a little harsh to say that Texas volleyball has been playing fairly Dickensian so far, but, um, oh, <laughs> good joke. That's fairly Dickinson. That's the number seven school. For best hospitality and hotel management in the world, according to CEO World, so don't don't mess around with uh, Fairleigh Dickinson when it comes to um, hotel chain management. Uh, in that bracket, though, it's some weird rematches. Just the the way it, it played out. Texas being the number one, the number two seed is Minnesota. The number three seed is Ohio State. If you think back to the beginning of the season, those are both top ten teams. But Texas, their first three games of the year, played two against Ohio State and one against Minnesota uh, on the road, and won all three of those. So. Um, they've seen them, but as Jared Elliott and Logan Eggleston and Zoe Fleck and anyone who could be interviewed uh, has said, is they're going to be better. We're better too, but they're going to be better because they handled those three games. And it's good that they're not uh, not getting too too cocky and uh, and they're taking this seriously because this is this is a good year that has writings of some very very good things and potential director cup implications. They just have to take it one match at a time. And uh, by the time Christmas time rolls around. We'll know exactly how much hardware they're uh, they're bringing home. And how many points for the Director's Cup? We need to get uh, our, our friend uh, Brent on for a Director's Cup date here in the next. I mean, seasons are starting to come to a close, so I feel like after the volleyball tournament, maybe it'd be a good time. But anywho, we'll obviously have some coverage of the Texas volleyball team as 
they go through the NCAA tournament. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, whether it be Big Bertha 1 or 2, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I am not going to bang the drum on the fact that the UT football officiating crew went eight quarters between the Oklahoma State and Baylor game and called one penalty for one yard across those eight quarters and called 21, I believe, 20-ish penalties on Texas during that time. I am not going to to bang the drum on that. I'll just leave that out there for others to bang. Gerald, I'm going to talk about points. I'm going to talk about point differential. Um, This Texas team had a good year. You won eight games. It's it's not a bad season. Um, it, it is the most wins they've had since 2019 when they also won eight. Uh, 18, they had a 10-win season. Then you have to go all the way uh, back to 2013 when Mac was here uh, to, to get an eight-win season, right? Um, but, you know, Texas had a differential of 174 points this year. They scored 428. Their opponent scored 254. That's that's pretty good. In fact, that is uh, purely point differential. Um, that is the uh, the highest uh, since 2009, Gerald. You mentioned it earlier when you were talking about the football team. That is 2009 BCS championship appearance Texas football. That is uh, That's taken us back to a, a bygone era. Um, you can even get kind of funky with it and, and look at the numbers and uh, you can start adding up many of years uh, before you get to uh, even the amount that they had, the 174. If you look at the stretch all the way, basically, um, you know, after that 2009 game, uh, all the way until the end of the Charlie tenure. So Lax, uh, Matt, excuse me, Max, last four years in Charlie's three years, and that point differential was only 132. So this was uh, significantly more than that. Herman did, did well. You know, uh, three out of his four years, the point differential was plus uh, 100, 107, 101, 142 in, in his uh, Sugar Bowl year. But um, the 174, again, is, is historic in the sense that it's our best year uh, since we went to a national championship. Now, that is floated by beating OU by 49 points. But let's not wrap this year up with remembering that we beat OU 49-0. to zero. Um, So just a great year when you zoom out. It's tough because all of the losses are so close. They don't hurt your differential much. Um, but sometimes they hurt the heart a little bit when you think about a one-point loss to Alabama. But I do you know, contest that uh, game in protest because of the, the uncalled safety and other uh, uncalled. Um, the... The three-point loss to Tech in overtime, the the one-score loss to both TCU and Oklahoma State, in which they couldn't get it going in the second half. So while it it is fantastic as a number to look at, it also leaves a little bit of a little bit of heartburn, a little bit of chest pain, where you say, "Gosh, it's so close. Gosh, it, even if one of those uh, four or or." You know, two of those four, we get a couple different bounces, a couple different calls, a couple different breaks uh, that go a different way. Maybe we're talking about an even better year. And it is hard to think about probably a, a combined like five or six plays uh, being the difference uh, in, in those and in, in that being even better. But nonetheless, it's progress, right? It is steps forward. When we look at the Sark era, when we're a bit micro, last year we were 50. We were five and seven, but so we still had a plus differential, which is good. 
Well, we went from 50 to 174 in our point differential. It's not the most accurate me metric that tells the entire story, but it is talking about progress, and you can draw that from that. So uh, proud of Sark. We'll see what happens in the bowl. Maybe they can expand that. We'll see. Um, but a, a, a cap of a good regular season that is about where most of us predicted it. Eight wins, looking at nine wins on the table. We'll talk about it more in our Thursday show, but like from a macro level, it's really like this is what we expected from Texas, eight and four with a couple of losses you shouldn't have had and, and a couple of losses you probably expected. Uh, but from a micro level, it's fine to be frustrated with some of the ways that the losses went down. But uh, when push comes to shove, I mean, expectations are what they are. Um, everybody has opinions and they're like noses. Uh, my, I'm banging the drum this week on college football as a whole and viewing it through the lens of Auburn football. Um, if you're unaware, even living under a rock, Hugh Freeze was hired uh, to replace Brian Harson at Auburn. Brian Harson was fired after not failing to meet expectations, and I don't know what they expected of Brian Harson. Like they brought, like you bring in a guy who made his mint, like recruiting three star kids and coaching them up, uh, and then fire him because he doesn't recruit against Alabama. Like I don't know what I don't know what you expected him to do. Um, you clearly expected something different than what you got from him. They spent an offseason trying to uh, find a reason to fire him, going as far as uh, fabricating um, an affair that he had on his wife to uh, try to find a reason, with a staffer nonetheless, to try to find a reason to fire the man. Um, and then they go and hire Hugh Freeze. And um, there's an old saying, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And Auburn showed us who they are last year when they tried to fire Hugh Free, uh, fire uh, Brian Harson by uh, by coming up with a BS story. And it's wild to me that they now have outdone that. Um, I'm somebody that firmly believes in second chances. I'm somebody that firmly believes in third, fourth, and fifth chances. If you don't know me, if you don't know this about me, former youth pastor, I believe that uh, people are redeemable. I believe that people deserve second chances, but they also have to show that they've earned that second chance, that they're willing to change their behavior. And as of like two years ago, Hugh Freeze uh, was using some some faux Christian spiritualization uh, to try to intimidate a sexual assault uh, victim to recant her story and asking her why she's coming after the football team. Like um, Hugh Freeze is the same person he was when he was using his his school issued phone to call up hookers for recruits. Like Hugh Freeze is the same dude that he was when they fired him for being a sleazeball. Hugh Freeze is also an average coach. He's coming off the heels of getting his crap absolutely rocked uh, on the field on Saturday. Part of that problem is because he had one foot out the door because that's the type of person that Hugh Freeze is. Um, and so I hope nothing but bad things for Auburn. I feel bad for the student athletes at Auburn. Um, I hope Cadillac Williams, who is by every account a stand-up guy, chunks deuces and leaves. He's not going to because he loves Auburn football and he believes in it, but like Cadillac deserves better. Um, I am just absolutely beside myself with this, and I cannot – I don't have any more words for this. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, the, the, this is the guy who – the reason we can be okay with some parts of Baylor is because we like Matt Rule and we like Dave Aranda and, and, and because they got rid of Art – because they got rid of Art Bryles and Ian McCaw. And, and you know what Ian McCaw, where he went and tried to rebuild Baylor? Liberty. And you know who was his biggest advocate and called him Christ-like as Gerald – alluded to that's 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 Hugh Freeze that's a man who is a charlatan who is a um, snake oil salesman in the most perfect sense of the word that is exactly correct and who's just not the kind of guy if you have an 18 to 22 year old you want 
shaping his mind, right? He freezes a dirtbag um, for, for, you know, better or less. Now, the Art Briles watch to Liberty is on, and it's just going to be the worst team in America. I cannot root hard enough. Every single week, I check the Liberty score and hope for a loss. I hate that team so much. Uh, again, all the worst parts of anything that you hate about Baylor. When you talk about how much you hate Baylor, it went to Liberty. And then, you know, obviously Liberty brings its own uh, bag of fun with it. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's if you if you even can have a nice thing to say about Liberty, then again, you, you, you are, you know, liking all the worst parts of that uh, Baylor scandal. But anyways, if, if that's your guy, Auburn, I agree with Gerald. And I hope um, I hope he doesn't last as long as Harson. At least Harson, you know, called plays for two years in Texas wasn't the best stint ever for what he was billed back then. Um, one of those was, was I think, the five-win season and then he win season. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, it's uh, I hope Harson has a nice life and doesn't have to deal with the crap of Auburn and finds a nice soft landing spot wherever that is once his buyout money is dried up on the beaches in Mexico. And I hope Pete Freeze has an absolutely miserable time for the next three years before he gets fired. All I really want to know is that is Hugh Freeze going to give former quarterback who's now in the NFL a chunk of his six and a half million dollars? That's all I want to know because much like Jimbo Fisher owes uh, a certain quarterback um, a chunk of his 95 million, like that man got you the job. Like, just go ahead and and just go ahead and give him a chunk. Throw him a piece. It's fine. It's okay. You're used to paying players illegally anyways, Hugh. <laughs> so just go ahead and do it. Gerald, Gerald, before we finish, did you see the tweet from Reddit? I have to give them credit. The, the Reddit college football account that was the handshaking uh, tweet template meme. Uh, and it was, it was Disney and uh, Auburn football shaking hands. And the common uh, interest in which they had was... Uh, Disney announced, of course, a hiring freeze uh, was Mickey Mouse organizations hiring freeze. Um, just, I mean, so much Elite. done with so Elite little comedy, so little two emojis and a couple of sentences. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Oh, follow me on Twitter. Assuming that exists uh, at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me also that with the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. Download Twitter before Apple pulls it off of the uh, <laughs> app store. You can follow me on Twitter at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Don't expect my voice to be any better on Thursday. I am facilitating like 16 hours worth of training this week. So I will be just as hoarse on Thursday as I am today. But we will be back doing our season recap. We'll be giving out some real and made-up awards. They're all made up because we're a made-up podcast. But thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you then on Thursday. And until then, hook them. Hook them. Screw he freeze.